Welcome to the Mad Men Happy Hour, the officially unofficial podcast for Mad Men on AMC. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 7, Episode 10, entitled The Forecast. What did you think of this episode? I liked it. I mean, first and foremost, it was really funny. And it was. It had some good funny things in there, yeah. It, you know, there's still a lot of kind of like, okay, where are we going? But it never hurts when an episode makes me laugh pretty hard several times. Mm-hmm. And... You know, between Pete and Peggy's little sibling spat and Johnny Mathis's spectacular flameout of SCP. Uh-huh. And, and just lots of other, you know, uh, Roger, Sally School, her mom and her dad. Yep. And, and it just really good stuff. Uh-huh. Lots of good stuff. Indeed. And I think, you know, this is a kind of a deconstruction episode for Don again. He's got to be brought down to a clean slate, apparently, completely clean slate before he can be built back up into anything yeah so that's kind of what we got my favorite take on this was uh molly lambert on grantland.com who's rapidly becoming one of my favorite Mad Men writers Mm -hmm. she says that this whole gettysburg speech hook uh and the writer's block he experienced uh could be seen as like a meta commentary by matthew weiner's uh writing process of the last season and okay. then also Don's hectoring of Peggy with the, and then what else? And then what else? And then what else is his kind of meta commentary on the fans? Just not going to be happy with anything he comes up with. <laughs> it's like, there's no, sure. I suppose you could read that. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm just, I cannot wait to read the postseason interviews with him because just judging mm. from the preseason and how kind of gregarious and forthcoming, uh, I'm expecting some some great things. So I would I, I hope someone asks him whether that there is a little truth to that. If he got a little bit of stage fright or a little bit of uh yeah some struggle with what is the future look like? Let's assume it's good and <laughs> it'll get better. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. And I can imagine with his writing style, the way he's kind of not wanted to write toward an ending of any kind. Yeah. Uh that, that could be a concern for him. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah, and the big the the big head scratcher is as it continues his casting of his own son. <laughs> Come on. Come that on. I Glenn, mean, this point... Glenn Glenn is is Matt and a lot of people like uh judging by the dozens of oh my god, can you believe emails I got, many people are shocked to find out that that is Matthew Weiner's son. Okay. Yeah, we've <laughs> known that for quite a while, but yeah, I could see how that would be extremely shocking considering he's not that great of an actor. I mean, we've talked about it before. Yeah, we're going to talk about it again. We will. <laughs> so, but it's it's just one of the mysteries of Mad Men, the biggest mystery, perhaps. Okay. Why would he put his son in the role of this? I don't know that that's a huge mystery because he's his son, probably. But he is so bad. Like, I almost don't believe he's that bad. I feel like his dad is is like flatter. Less emotion, deader <laughs> eyes, deader, and like, is this some big joke between them? That I, maybe that's a symptom of being Matthew Weiner's son. <laughs> <laughs> he gets that direction his entire life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> deader, more broken, uh, so <laughs> creepier. Uh, I yeah, I don't know. Um, 
but yeah, we'll, looking we'll forward to discussing it. it. This is this is a good good episode to sink your teeth into. Yeah, who made this one though? Uh, it was directed by Jennifer Getzinger, which has an interesting career path in Hollywood. She spent most of her early days working as a script supervisor on some notable films: The Walking Vehicle, The Prophecy, uh, Requiem for a Dream, The Devil Wears Prada. And then she moved on to also script supervision on shows like uh, Sex and the City, so Sopranos, and Mad Men. There's the Wiener connection. And she made her directorial debut on Mad Men. Hmm. She's directed several episodes. She got a DGA uh, award for directing two episodes of Mad Men, the season three, uh, Gypsy and a Hobo, and the season four, The Suitcase, which I think is your personal favorite. That's a really good one. Yeah. So definitely good hands on that uh, front. It was written by Jonathan Igla and Matthew Weiner. Uh, Jonathan was nominated for a WGA award for writing on his work, uh, for his work last season uh, on A Day's Work. Hmm. That's the episode where Peggy steals Shirley's roses from her desk, and Don and Sally start to patch things up after the whole Sylvia incident. All right. He actually won one in 2007, but that was a collective win for the season's writers and it was recognized all the writers not an individual award and this is the only show he's worked on i don't know hmm. whence he came from i couldn't track his trajectory like that but he seems probably, to be another wiener acolyte yeah he's matt wiener's other son <laughs> uh jonathan and martin sure so that's all that's, right cool. uh, again felt like uh, you can't can't get much better than uh, jennifer and matthew and uh, jonathan throw him in there too yeah all right, let's start with the recap. Uh, Don's realtor comes into his house and wakes him up, and it is apparently time for her to show the place off. So she kicks him out. Uh, we find out, you know, Don hasn't replaced his carpet. Anything. And his whole place is empty. His bed. Yeah, Marie, you know, at least Marie leaves him his bed. That, that's, yeah, I can that's see her not wanting the <laughs> the the bed of whores for his, her daughter. Yeah, that Don't want a syphilis-infected mattress? Hell no. No. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, this stain is still there. You know, this carpet hasn't been replaced. Yeah. Uh, and Don tries to play this off in the start of what is the theme of this episode, that it's better. They can imagine their own thing. It's it's Don not really doing anything, just kind of chasing this imagination of what his life should be. Sure. And we get further, you know, into that topic later on with Peggy and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, it's always frustrating for me. I. I you know, as a guy who's sold to mostly empty houses, the realtors are always are bitching about that. And I'm like, it really? Because if I'm looking at a house, I'd rather see an empty house. I don't want other people. I think crap you're definitely in, in the minority, though. Like, really? Yeah, having having wasted a lot of time watching some of these like property sure. shows, like flip a house or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's very hard. People have bad imaginations. That's that really blows my poor mind. imaginations when it comes to housing. And if you show them something fancy and really nice and dressed up, they're more likely to go, "Oh wow, this is what my house could be." Well, I see Even, that if you were if you had Don's bank and you could actually stage something that looked yeah. like better homes and gardens, sure. Uh-huh. But when you're talking to a person of average means and like. You know, I just and an average and their lawn furniture is going to go in the living room. Well, (laughs) that was the best. He's dragging his patio furniture into lounging. That that's Uh, such a bachelor frog thing to do. Yeah, he's like, "Fuck it, I'm not going to fill this house back up." Yeah, it's going to get rid of it. Yeah, but I, uh, she said, "Have you ever sold an apartment?" I would love to see Don. (laughs) Don as a realtor, it'd be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I can I can see Pete going that way. You sure, know, his girlfriend last season was a realtor. I mean, the thing with Don is you never know. He when when he meets with you, are you going to get the carousel? Or are you going to get the Hershey bar? Sure. 
Hershey bar is not going to sell. That's not going to close. This carousel, <laughs> sure. Yeah, you could sell. You could sell a house with a carousel pitch. And, and this balcony, perfect for jumping off of. What? <laughs> what? Sirens as long as, as, as the day is long. You hear? Uh, Joan's mother calls her at her hotel in California, where it's very early because her mother can't do math, and she orders room service. Not a lot to this scene. She talks briefly to her son, who doesn't talk back to her. And I think that that may be significant in some ways. Or it could be he's a four-year-old. It, it, yeah, it could also be he just lost interest in a phone call. Yeah, yeah, something shiny bounced in front of his path, and he he went off. Yeah. Roger taps Don to write the Gettysburg Address of vision speeches. Sure. For this retreat that they're having in the Bahamas. Right. And that's I think a, it's in the Bahamas. It is. Okay. It is. A godless retreat in the Bahamas. Yeah. Hoping we're seeing some of that next That's episode. what Roger loves, man. <laughs> he just doesn't want to write the speech. Right. And that, I think, was interesting that, you know, 2,500 words, uh, I think Tom and Lorenzo mentioned that that's like the average high school assignment that you could bang out in a weekend. And jo- Don just cannot do it. For good reason. John, or John, Don doesn't know what the future of this company is yeah or himself exactly the the company here is a stand-in for himself this speech he's writing is not about the company it's about don's life going forward yeah and how disappointed he'd be if he just projects this trajectory on forward a few years like is that and and then what and then what yeah he just doesn't have any vision beyond work yeah like he has all these people look up to him it's weird like roger looks up to him as a guy who has this great passion and ability to paint a picture for people. But the picture he's painting isn't necessarily something that he would find satisfying himself. Yeah. It's something that he knows they're looking for. Right. But he has no idea what he wants. Yeah, like he can sell women on pantyhose and he can sell men on jaguars, but sell Don Draper on his own future. And, he has no idea. And he's so desperate he asks Meredith for uh-huh. advice. <laughs> <laughs> miss miss space station uh i mean that's that's as desperate as you can get going to her for insight sure speaking of space stations there's a reference here i think to ken where don or roger says you know just write something up it doesn't have to be science fiction or anything mm. um I, I felt like that was maybe a slight nod along with the space station stuff to it doesn't ken. have to be about dudes and music but little miniature dudes <laughs> playing music in a music box sure no <laughs> Joan gets to the office, and Lou tells her that the first meeting is at noon, and then he runs out the door to an errand, as he calls it. Uh, apparently, Lou got transferred to California. We were asking the question, where's Lou? I got a time. contract. He does have a contract. So they brought Pete back to New York. Mm-hmm. They shuffled Lou out there. Makes me wonder if they also shuffled Cutler out there, mm. but I'm not certain about that because we don't see him. Well, Cutler just might have... Again, he wasn't part of the you-need-to-be... Yeah. In here buyout, he, so he might have just been off. Oh, speaking of that, the previous scene where Don comes into Roger's office. Uh-huh. Roger points out that he's drinking and that he shouldn't be. He could have his head for that. Yeah, uh, I thought that was weird, too. Really, Don still can't drink in this office? He's got a five-year contract. Oh, this was particular to Don. Okay. Yes. Okay. Where, well, where he made this agreement, this this writer on his contract, which said, I won't drink. Or embarrass the company in But that way. was before the buyout. So yeah. it's like that might... I mean, I don't know how much of that is still in effect. Obviously, n- not a lot. I mean, it's it's as strictly it's enforced as Stan's no-doobie contract <laughs> in, in the creative bullpen. Uh-huh. 
which is to say, I, I just thought it was weird that that is a concern at all. Period. After this buyout, when he was such a key component in that buyout, yeah, like use that to at least get rid of this no fucks up, no fucking up clause. I want to go back to the scene that we were talking about with Lou Avery here in L.A. because they mentioned the Beverly Wilshire. Which I always, yeah, yeah. anytime I hear mention, I always look it up. And I wasn't even going to mention this because it's just pretty much straightforward. <laughs> the singer Elvis Presley and later actor Warren Be- Beatty, uh, Beatty was famous for living there for several years at a time. It's just mm-hmm. this kind of like posh historic hotel. Barack Obama stayed there. All kinds of people. John Lennon stayed there when Yoko Ono kicked him out. <laughs> uh, and I was like, okay, whatever. And I was about to close the browser tab. But then this little line the American socialite and Woolworth department store heiress, Barbara Hutton, spent her last years in near poverty and poor health in the hotel and died there in May of 79. And it made me think of Rachel. Like, obviously, she didn't die in near poverty, nor in a hotel, but I wonder if that was part of the Wiener's creative stew here. Yeah, and He mentions be. this hotel, and you had this wealthy department store uh heiress died there i I just thought it was was interesting and i don't know if anyone else will but that's why i read wikipedia no some of these (laughs) some of these loose connections are there yeah uh in a lot of episodes sure so uh meredith and don are going over the speech or the ideas for the speech anyway um of which one is a space station international business space you can't get much more international than space stations that's true uh, Peggy then comes in to sign to get sign off on the Plus pitch for Peter Pan cookies. That's also not like as out there as you'd think because isn't Sky we're almost in the the de- the uh the time frame of Skylab. That was in the seventies ish. I wasn't sure if it was like yeah, seventy might be right. one seventy. So it's like that's part of the, the, might the, culture, be in the zeitgeist. The yeah. zeitgeist. I was about to say that that Meredith would, you know, in the same way she free associates but the Meredith, Manson brothers. It's still not not a useful suggestion. Why would an advertising agency need a space station? Uh, why wouldn't they? <laughs> I mean, maybe I suppose Nat- there's advertising to be done in space. Yeah, NASA's uh, reaching out through Lockhart to sell the whole Skylab program. That'd yeah. be cool. Pepsi cool. can put their logo on the moon. Sure, sure. <laughs> why not? Uh, so Peggy comes in, says, "Hey, we need to sign off on this Peter Pan cookie stuff on the, the pitch for that." And then Mathis and Ed explain it to him. He doesn't like the first tagline they come up with, so they change it. Yeah, his exact words is, ugh, love again? Spoken like a man who just went through a fairly bitter, acrimonious divorce. Yeah, seems right on. It'll be another 18 months before he can speak of the word without retching. Um, yeah, and it, it looks like there's some kind of rivalry rivalry here between Mathis and Ed. Mm-hmm. It's uh, not just about growing hair out. No, Runs definitely deeper. not. Um, anyway, let's let's keep moving because there's a lot more a lot more to be said about that later. Sure. Joan's waiting for Lou, and he's late. He's she's out in California. Um, she asks what what he's out doing, um, and his secretary tells him that he's talking to Hanna Barbera about a cartoon he has, which we know to be Scout's Honor. It's a nice little callback to that. Sure. Um, some guy walks in and pretends to be the contact that she is waiting for, and. That is until Lou walks in with the real one, and then she asks, who the hell are you? And he asks her out. His name's Richard, apparently. And I gotta say, uh, I'm kind of skeptical of any man walking into Joan's life, because okay. I'm like, I don't know if he's good enough for you. But when JFK slash Captain Christopher Pike walks into the room, yeah, I think he's. I, my gut reaction was, this guy's good enough for Joan. Yeah, he seems like a 
a charming, well put together guy. He's like a Ro- I mean, best case scenario, he's a Roger without the narcissist, incapable of f- connection, genuine connection to other human type type character. Okay. Now my thoughts changed throughout the episode, but my yeah. my, my initial reaction just by casting this guy was this this guy's solid. All right. I think that's a fair assessment. Sally over at uh, Castle Francis Stein is signing traveler's checks, I think. Yeah, that's what it seemed like. Yeah, in preparation for what I imagine to be a tour of the colonies, like the old American colonies, because she makes a joke about it and her mother being old. Ha ha. Right. Uh, Betty tries to warn her about getting into trouble on the trip, but it seems like Sally has it all figured out. Sure. Um, This felt like a very different relationship between Sally and her mother. Really? At this point. I mean, yes, from from one side. I mean, Sally is being wry and making these jokes and jabs at her oh, mother. that, sure. But Betty is not reacting to them in the way that I've seen her react in the past. She seems to actually be getting the jokes. Yeah, but Betty's got this knack of, like, mothering up for big, in her mind, big events. Like, Indeed. your first period... I'm going to turn on the mother afterburners to full uh-huh. and mother to shit out of you. And, oh, you're following in my footsteps and doing the same tour I did when I was a girl, breaking my light bulbs and flirting with boys, tee-hee. Uh-huh. I, will, I will try to glom on. The, and so I felt it was a little bit more in the same way, and I know I got flack for it when I said it, but I'm going to say it again. In the same way that her comforting her daughter when she got her first period was as just as much about Betty as it was about Sally. Mm-hmm. This is very much about Betty. And she was being generous with her because she didn't want to ruin her moment, you know, in the same way Bobby had the temerity to ruin the perfect day. She wasn't going to let that happen. Now, yeah, I, I don't know. I Betty's also hate been, Betty. I, so I know. <laughs> everything's being filtered through that, but I, I think Betty is becoming a less disgusting person toward the end of this. Ah, you always say that. I know, but... Then the end of the season rolls around. <laughs> it's a shame what she did to Bobby last season. I don't think that was fair, and that was very Betty-like. Sure. But something about this with, like, Glenn coming back and her being somewhat genuine with Sally and not just a huge raging bitch, it seems like... Progress. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for Betty, it's progress, nah, right? I mean, I mean, sure. There's a long way to go still, and I don't think she's there sure. yet. But I think she's more there than Don is. Hmm. I don't know. There. In in some ways, I yeah, they're very different. Don yeah. Don likes to give advice and help out, but yeah, in his own kind of disconnected way. And that's the thing. Like, I feel like what Don like they. So we're gonna probably talk about this another time. But yeah. I feel like both parents were kind of gross. With the teenage kids. They were. And Sally's right on. But I felt like Don actually had something constructive to say about it. Mm-hmm. And something that like Sally could take away as useful life advice. Whereas Betty doesn't really. Betty is is wants Sally to... I think Betty wants Sally to grow up as a happier version of herself. Mm-hmm. Which is a logical impossibility. Whereas Don wants her to be a better person. Yeah. And not be like him, which I think is like one of the the fundamental differences between their parenting approaches. Okay, I like that. Um, Don gets home, and his realtor hasn't sold the apartment in a single day. Sure, uh, come on, realtor, what do you what do I pay you for? Yeah, uh, <laughs> and he says it's because she has no imagination. 
but she says no no it's because this place reeks of failure yes uh it's a empty. sad it's, person lives here uh-huh I, I a couple of things i noticed about this you know don goes into his big like oh well tell him a, a millionaire lived here inventing the frisbee and uh think of all the the amazing things that could and did happen here name don, name one don I, I know. Like this, I, I know. we've talked about this apartment being just like so many weird and and emotionally harrowing experiences. Like yes. Zuby Zoo is the only thing good thing I can think of happening in this apartment. And even that felt a little weird too. It did because Harry was there perving the whole time. I you know <laughs> okay. you couldn't just enjoy You're the right. Harry's for what been it in the was apartment because just burn it down. <laughs> he was getting an audible erection. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, no, but I, that's super important. The Don has. Zero problem lying about what has happened here and using that to twist the imagination of people um, to to his will. Mm. And it's it feels a very manipulative thing, you know, that yeah. an ad man does all day. Sure. Uh, he's he's painting his pictures. And why like can't Roger everyone says. do it? Why can't you just make shit up and sell this thing? Well, sure. I mean, she doesn't. She has more of a conscience than Don. Well, plus like, there's does. actually laws in real estate. <laughs> yeah, you, you would there's think starting so. to be laws about advertising, but yeah, mm-hmm. like you can't. You you have to be dis, you have to be forthcoming and disclose stuff. Yeah, but I think it's also important here that, like for example, Don murdered that woman and shoved her in his bed. I mean, that's got to be disclosed <laughs> in his dreams. He certainly <laughs> he did. dream murdered that woman. Yeah, and there's a blood stain to prove it. <laughs> uh, I I don't know. I think I think it's also interesting that Don. Don is willing to spin these tales, but he he ultimately doesn't believe them. He ultimately has a problem even conceiving of those sorts of things for himself. Yeah. Like, he can tell all these great stories, but he can't build his own story. It's like the realtor said, the emptiness is a problem. Yeah. That applies to him as well as his apartment of sadness and suck. And he doesn't view it as such. Right. And that's kind of the, the core problem. Right. And I think... You know, by the end of this episode, he probably has a different perspective on it. Um, slightly. I mean, he's not going to change overnight, sure. certainly. But well, or even over the course of several seasons. I mean, that's yeah. that's where I'm starting to give up hope that he's actually going. Maybe, maybe we'll get the feeling that Sally's okay. But I'm really mm-hmm. starting to give up hope that we're going to have like a light bulb moment and he's going to attain some genuine peace and happiness. Could be wrong, but man, we only got four episodes to go. Yeah, not a lot of time. So Richard is trying to get Joan to stay in bed, and he tells her that he's divorced, and she says the same, and then he explains that he wants to make up for some lost time, basically. He spent all these years raising his kids. Now that they're gone, he wants to go out and be free. Mm -hmm. And Joan tells him that she doesn't have any mouths to feed, which we know is untrue. Well, no. And she explains that she loves her job. He, you're right. He, he asks if you have mouths to feed, and she says, "I love my job." Yes, <laughs> she dodges the question. She definitely dodges the question. But we knew, as the audience, that she was lying, and that tells us yeah. that she really, really likes this guy because he, he was just basically yeah. saying the only deal breaker is if you have kids. And she's like, uh, "No," or you know. or live with your mom, or divorce twice. <laughs> like there right. are so many deal breakers in her sure lifestyle. And, but yeah, he's the deal breaker, Richard, he, the deal breaker. He is. So Don arrives at work, and he chats with Meredith for a quick second as he watches Ted go into his office, and uh, he's he's kind of collecting some data on SCDP so he can develop this speech. 
I was just shocked in this scene that Meredith knows what the word prognostication means. Did she use it correctly, though? I think so. Really? If I remember correctly, yeah. Huh. I don't know about that. Maybe not. What I thought was interesting is Don is slowly turning into the dad from the Wonder Years. His (laughs) face is just setting into that granite block head that that guy Mm. had. Like there's this one that one point where he's working the candy machine, he had this like weird thin lipped overbite that I just like, my God. <laughs> the years are taking their toll. When's Winnie Cooper gonna come go go booting into this place? Yeah, the, what people don't realize it's only the wonder years for the kids in that show. <laughs> the fucking parents, it's, it's the hell years. Yeah, man. right. It's, the it's, gauntlet. Yeah, it's the lives of quiet desperation. I think all dads eventually turn into the wonder years dad. It's the kids, man. Their heads get bigger. Mine certainly is. Yeah. No signs of stopping. (laughs) Uh, Don goes to Ted's office, and he asks him what the future of SCMP is. Ted says, eh, I don't know, maybe some bigger accounts. Don is completely unsatisfied with that. Yeah, you can tell the whole thing is like, he's disgusted with everyone that they don't have any better idea of what to do with themselves than he can come up with. Except for Peggy, who does, but he is still... Not really. Peggy's Peggy's What is he looking for? He's looking for something to define a person outside of their work. Yeah. And Peggy and he, but he's, he's, he's there going, for a performance review, so of course she's not going to do that. And, and and he's ostensibly asking about the stupid speech, which is all about work. So he's yes. barking up multiple wrong trees. Certainly. But yeah, I mean he's just you know, when she ticks off her accomplishments, oh these are things I've already done. Mm-hmm. Then you know, it's but it's it's weird. It's like I said, this is des- increasing desperation of like, where, what is there more? Is this all there is? Like they said yeah. last, and like that was a callback to season one that he's just really at the end of his rope trying to figure out what is he supposed to do now. Mm-hmm. He is against all odds, pretty much gotten everything he's won. Now he's got the freedom. He's essentially Richard, only younger, better looking, less captainy, but still good. <laughs> but he, uh. you know, Richard's got all these, like, I don't, you know, He's got the no plan plan. Don doesn't even want to come up with the no. He can't be bothered to come up with the no plan plan. Yeah, he's got no, the he's, no plan, no plan plan. He's feeling surprisingly unfor, unfulfilled for a guy who has attained so much in his career. You know, but again, the emptiness is a problem. It is. Uh, Joan gets a call from a man in a hideous jacket, <laughs> uh, whose name is Richard. We know, telling her that he's in town and he's inviting her to dinner. Yeah, Richard goes from zero to Starsky and Hutch in the span of a single episode. <laughs> it's incredible. My God. I mean, the, the outfit he's wearing when he walks into the office in California, fine. Not a problem. I mean, you know, you, your collar's the a little col- weird. Yeah, I, I would. I but would, it's the times. Sure. And it's fairly fashionable. Sure. This fucking coat, man. Yeah. Oh. It's I a fiasco. I it's a fiasco. Yeah, and it doesn't get any better from here. We'll talk about it. Uh, anyway, so she, she agrees to a date and then Pete and Peggy and, uh, come to Don and they say, oh my God, Mathis just really fucked up in this Peter Pan meeting and literally Pete wants to fire him. Yeah. He's, he's used the F word. Pete wants to fire him. Peggy doesn't. Don refuses to fire him and says he needs to go make this right. Sure. Uh, Don, Don's also a candy bar guy. What candy bar does he buy? Is it a Snickers? It looks like maybe a Snickers, but I couldn't tell. Well, the interesting thing, as someone emailed us in, um, was that what guess what was front and center in the display? Baby Ruth? Hershey's bar. Oh, was it? Okay. It's dead smack in the middle. 
Ooh. So that would have been an interesting question to see what he asked. It didn't look like a Hershey's bar that he got. Right. And that would be a little too on the nose. And, or, and maybe if you're adding to the meta analysis that this is a hint that he is going to make a different choice. Could be. He's going to It'd abandon. Nice. Going to abandon the uh, something sweet uh, in mm-hmm. the in, in in the packaging that looks like the product. Yeah, for something with a little more nuts in it. But I, <laughs> but I I don't I don't hold out much hope. What did you think of Pete's yeah. assertion that he could fire Peggy? I think he's I don't know he's that he delusional. Can. Like he could maybe in the sense he's of the employee partner, in like... the employee manual might outline a discipline path that would well end up that, but. Mm-hmm. To apply that to Peggy Olson, he's crazy. Yeah, I mean, he would have to have the okay of several other people to do it. Yeah, like Mathis, he could probably fire. Although, obviously, Peggy can can has some say in this. Mm-hmm. But yeah, don't, who the hell are you, Pete? Well, power goes to Pete's head, I think, a little bit. But God, I okay. hate seeing with absolute power. Ugh. because yeah. this what little power he personal power he has is just mm-hmm. uh, hideous. Apocalyptic. So, uh, speaking of horrible people, Glenn shows up at Castle Francistein, and things get really awkward between him and Betty, the the, the now eighteen year old Glenn and Betty. Uh, then things get extra awkward when Glenn says he's he says a formal goodbye to Betty, which is the first problem here. He's ostensibly Sally's friend, and yet he's saying goodbye to Betty. And then he mentions that he's going to the army, and that just really pisses off Sally. Yeah, this weird intensity of his performance did, like, if he was more of a normal human being, <laughs> I wouldn't have gotten on the whole, like, oh, he's locked in on Be- Betty. But this scene, like, you're right, he's there for Sally, and he is just completely focused on Betty from the moment that she walks in the door. Yeah. And that, I mean, we find out later that that's basically what he was there for. Yeah. And say this about Martin. Uh, Martin's had some unfortunate uh, physical characteristics, uh, he's looked like an Adams family uh, extra. Martin? Uh, Glenn. Martin, Martin oh, White Wiener. But he's, okay. I think he's turned into a fairly good looking young man. Yeah, he's, he's completely he's Neville sure. Longbottomed. He's lost a shitload of weight, too. That doesn't, that doesn't hurt anybody. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and there's a lot of uh, clues here to the date. Uh, you know, we looked up the magazine articles that were on Don's various tables and the latest date you could find on those were for June. There's a Newsweek and a time that was from June of, of 1970. Okay. But Sally here mentions the Kent state and Mike B actually did a whole bunch of research, which I very much appreciate. Uh, he says, Sally mentions Kent state in here uh, after president Nixon's announcement of the U S invasion of Cambodia, which was seen in episode 708 riots erupted on college campuses and were particularly violent at Kent state university near Cleveland, Ohio. Ohio Governor Jim Rhodes deployed the National Guard to keep the peace. But on May 4th, 1970, an incident occurred causing the Guard to fire on an unarmed but rock and cocktail throwing students, uh, which led to the death of four students. Which is interesting because that, if we're talking about a June time frame, which makes sense, that's about when people's college term ends and people would be going home and a guy like Glenn would be freaking out about having to go back home and saying he's flunked out. It kind of all fits in there. Uh, so okay. it get, kind of gives us an idea of where we are in the time. He also mentioned though, that Sally's reference to, uh, or sorry, Betty's ref reference to Sally's reaction as acting like John Jane Fonda was a bit odd. Fonda did famously visit Hanoi where she was photographed seated on a North Vietnamese anti-aircraft battery. It's a fairly infamous photo. 
But that happened in July of 72. <laughs> I'm sure that Fonda, like many others, were outspoken about the war in 1970, but it didn't reach iconic levels of fame until the Hen- uh, Hanoi incident. So do you so think that was a that bit Betty of a... is especially connected to the news? Well, I will say this about Betty. They have laid the groundwork of her being fairly ultra conservative in this 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 thing, and which has embarrassed Henry on a few times, mm-hmm. on a few occasions. And she seems to be really uh, conservative and hawkish even in this episode where, you know, he's she's really buying in. So it could be that she what she pays attention to or the people she's listening to are, is is in front of the whole Jane Fonda situation. They're like they're they've been bitching about it uh before it was cool. Yeah, could be. <laughs> so that's I don't think it's entirely like it I I I don't think it's an anachronism that she is bitching about this before the photo came out. I actually think that just shows uh Betty's politics. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past the the wiener to do something that deep. Something that, sure. that character driven. Or you could have just fucked up the date. I would buy either one. Also possible. <laughs> um, Don begins writing his speech. He's he's kind of dictating it into his famous dictaphone thing. And Mathis comes in and asks Don how to fix the situation that he's in with Peter Pan. And, <laughs> and Don tells him, whatever you do, don't apologize. That's not how you do it. Uh, but instead, you know, basically call attention to it, laugh it off. Uh, acknowledge it. Just don't, don't apologize for it. Right. He even says, like he tells, he tells his story about Lucky Strike, but then he goes on and says, uh, "Why don't you take a bar of soap, make it like that's." I'm shocked that Mathis came out of this uh, talk thinking that he needed to tell them, tell his clients what assholes he thought they were. He is nowhere near smooth enough to no to pull that off and. He should have realized it, right? With yeah. the speech that he comes in later and delivers to Don, like his firing speech, I, he should have known that. And I never thought he was like Ginsburg, I would believe, would have the lack of social cues to yeah. hear the story and think, oh, I should just say that. And he also has the weird kind of weird, energetic, strange confidence that he might have even been able to pull it off. Ginsburg, yeah. Yeah. But Mathis, like, he's just a schlub. He's just a dude. Like, I don't think he's socially broken or awkward, especially awkward. Mm. He's just an average dude that can't pull off a Superman move like that. Yeah. And the other Whereas thing the bar is... Soap, I think he might have been able to. The other thing you know? is him knowing the whole backstory about... Oh, God, who's the fucking head of the Lucky Strikes? Lee, Lee Garner Jr. Oh, I, I want to say Lee Oswald. No. No, Lee Garner Jr. It's a totally different story. Yep. Um, knowing that there was the homoerotic thing between there. Yeah. Like, did you think you had that with the Peter Pan folks? Like, no. it's not only off the charts charisma and good If you're the cookie looks. monster, you probably don't have the relationship you need <laughs> to pull that if off. You if you are a you're Keebler me- elf, you do not have this. Yeah, you you got to have all that working together. It's like, this, he's just a fucking idiot. Yeah, it, it was a bad move. It was a bad move. And I'm surprised he didn't go with the bar of soap because I think he could have pulled that one off. Oh, That's yeah. A lot bar of soap would have killed. Bar of soap would have yeah. killed. And it would have been right up these squares alley. Yep. Anyway, uh, Don's taking this Getty, Gettysburg dress thing pretty literally. You know, he's starting off his thing with four. He's getting into the headspace, obviously. Okay, trying to. Yeah, and I, I like to see that. I, I thought it was cool. You know, we haven't seen a lot of Don developing these pitches lately. And so for him to be back on his couch dictating into this machine, uh, I thought that was cool. I like that. Now that it's for a slightly different purpose, you know? Right on. 
Um, and he, he's talking about, you know, it's going to get better. It's supposed to get better. I think he's trying to pep talk himself there. Exactly. Which I think he's, he might be wrong. <laughs> he's, it's wishful thinking at best. Every episode that goes by, it's less and less that things are going to get better. Yep. Sorry, Don. So then we go to Joan's dinner with Richard, and he is basically demanding the truth about her marriage. He brings it up again. He says, hey, come on, tell me. I know. I know what's going on here. And instead, she reveals that she has a kid. Mm-hmm. And he says that it doesn't matter, but he conspicuously cancels the nightcap, I think. I don't know if they were going to have a drink at the table there or if the nightcap was, hey, let's go to the room and have a drink. No, yeah, nightcap is, I I think, I, I'm not familiar with the I'm terminology. I'm not sure of the definition. But, but it's a kind of like come upstairs for coffee kind of thing. Okay. It's not something you do at the restaurant. <laughs> well... Unless you're Roger, unless you're, and Mar- unless you're Ma- Roger and <laughs> then you Marie, go to the alley behind it, him. or you're Don and you're doing the yeah, yeah, the whole right. alley thing. That's fair. Um, but he he obviously cares about it, right? And he brings her back to to the hotel. So like, regardless of the yeah. nightcap or not, he's still about about it. So he is, but not totally. Um, you, and you can tell something has changed. Like Joan gives him a weird look at the table when he asks for the check. He, she's like, hmm. I, I don't know. That's why I see it was starting to was... go bad. And I think it took him like I would have been really impressed if he was able to like, oh, oh, well, this just man, I like, look, Joan, this isn't going to if if he was able to turn on that kind of a dot from like, I'm going to have sex with this crazy, <laughs> sexy woman to yeah. nope, nope, nope. I, I, I felt like. And I think he does deserve That's partial the Superman move. <laughs> Jesus, I do think he deserves partial credit for like he's like, look, at least I got this out before I betted you again. He mm. does. I think that counts for a lot. But he also he was does. super kind of angry about the whole situation, which lost in points. Yeah, yeah. But we're not even to that scene yet. No, we're not. Um. Anyway, Sally calls Glenn's house. She's really sad about how things ended with him and. She tries to apologize, but he's not home, and she says, hey, can you have him call me back? Super important. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Sally clearly cares about Glenn. She just... It would make her really sad if that's how they left things. Yeah. Which that feels totally consistent with her character. It does. It does. She's a a very thoughtful teenager. Uh, Back in the hotel room, Joan and Richard are about to get down, (laughs) and Joan calls her babysitter to ask if she can stay a little bit longer, which... This babysitter, man, she really hassles her. I Joan should be like, Come, I got something to do here. Let's just agree. I don't care how much it costs. Hmm. Let's do this. But now the babysitter's like, oh, I don't know. I got things to do. And she's like a plus. School tomorrow. Got to get up early. She's such a hippie, too. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe that's that's how the kids dress. But I just thought it was interesting, kind of a culture shock moment, too, that Kevin is being raised by. Uh, some Woodstock burnout. (laughs) All right. Yeah. Uh, So after this phone call, Richard has changed his mind about getting involved with Joan due to the fact that she has a kid and that it is obviously getting in the way of things. Mm -hmm. And uh, he tells her. And then she leaves. Yeah. And yeah, like I said, he got kind of shouty and she's like, fuck this. Another thing in note that I, I, this is a hallmark of the wiener is the specific thing about Kevin being afraid of a horse. That is such a, (laughs) I love that specific detail and it's, it's consistent with my memories of being a kid and of having kids myself Mm -hmm. is like, you know, the the thing I can remember being afraid of as a four year old is a fucking turtle. 
that lived under my bed. A turtle? A turtle. I don't remember why I was afraid of it. Like a snapping just a, turtle? Just a turtle. Like hmm. a turtle. Like a box turtle <laughs> under my bed. Okay. Uh, so yeah, being afraid of a horse, that's, that, that was a cute detail and it's a, such a throw off thing. <laughs> I like to imagine in a writer's room, they went around until they got it just right. Uh, like, yeah. no, a cow, cow's not scary enough. That's the right blend of terrifying, <laughs> but pedestrian. And benign. Yeah. 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 Uh huh. All right. Peggy comes into Don's office and asks to have her performance reviewed. So Don does so. He asks her and what by she the sees way, in the future. I, I, I get why Ted did this because fuck trying to give Peggy a personal, uh, you know, any kind of review after the relationship they've had. Oh, God. But, man, if you are a manager, it is a, such a huge fuck you to tell someone to write their own. You might think of it like, oh, just write your own review and I'll sign off on it and it'll be good. But it puts the employee into personal hell. It makes you seem lazy as hell. It's just a don't ever do it. Take yeah. the time out of your life to fuck, to give this person a, a review. Goddamn. Yeah. I mean, it, it must be difficult for managers who aren't connected enough to or hands on or or understand their team well enough to even do it. Well, like, then I, get, I could see a manager just not even being able to do it because they don't know anything about their team. How, but that's a poor manager. It's a terrible I manager. Guess. But th- in, I'm sure in that case, exists. maybe do away the HR requirement of a performance review. <laughs> Just here's your raise. You're doing adequately, or I would have fired you. Go on. Yeah. Like this whole uh, whatever. But Don uses this opportunity to try to get some answers from her. Another for his vision quest here. If you're going to give someone a person, just don't use it as the lens to view your entire life and shit yeah. on the employee's dreams. Yeah. Yeah. She. So he asks about, you know, what, tell me about your job and the meaning of life. And Peggy's like, those are two different things. And he, that really highlights how much Don thinks of his career as his life. Yeah. Or, or at least, you know, he's coming to a better understanding of it now, but that seems to be how he has viewed it in the past. And there's also the start of this was like, it was cute. And he clearly got the joke that she is essentially saying, I want to be just like you, Don. Yeah. Um, only with a little bit more of a feminist bent to it. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was also interesting her saying, putting it out there, she wants to be the creative director at McCann Erickson when we found out last week, and I think we talked about this in the season before, that McCann Erickson in real life was one of the first Manhattan Avenue ad firms that did have a female creative director. Yeah. So I I like that, but the you know Don clearly enjoying just like hearing her regurgitate all of his life milestones just turned to annoyance on both of their parts when he was saying, well, then what do you want to do? Yeah. He's saying that's like, empty. That's now you're at, now you're to me uh, and your life is a sham. He's then asking what, do you do? what he should do. And that's right. You know, that's unfair. Right. I don't know. The other thing is like his personal knowledge of her, you know, giving up the baby and all that. Is that also like, he's perturbed that that doesn't seem to bug her in a way like her running away from her life doesn't seem to be costing her as much from his perspective as as him running away from his life. Sure, but he doesn't see the scenes where she goes home to her empty apartment and cries. Sure, I get you know? that. I mean, but I was he wondering might if that's intentional that or if way? that's just something I'm bringing to it, because I do see both sides of that. No, I could totally see him viewing it that way. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Peggy seems like she's got the world in her hands, you know, from a, from his perspective. Sure. Uh, just Just like he does to everyone else, you know? Anyway, Jones' babysitter shows up late. Kind of a down scene for us uh, Don Peggy shippers, though. 
Yeah, they're not, not seeing eye to eye very Not much. wanting to see uh, more dance in the Sinatra, less shitting on dreams, Don. <laughs> we got four episodes to go. Come on. Chop, chop. Uh, Joan's babysitter shows up late, and Joan yells at her on, on her way out the door. Well, she yells at the babysitter, and she kind of accidentally yells at her kid. That's the devastating part of that. You're yeah. Screaming, you're ruining my life with your four-year-old, and then he comes back with a bye bye is just... Mm-hmm. uh make you feel pretty bad yeah and i i definitely think you know peggy stuff with giving up her child uh don stuff with being a bad parent richard coming into this whole scene all of this is kind of tied together right sure everyone in this career kind of views their children as impediments to the life that they want to have uh some of them are beyond that at this point and some of them are still dealing with it and uh i it's it's a sad sad thing but i don't know that it's an uncommon thing i not in my experience i mean yeah. maybe uh hopefully if, if my son ever gets around to listening to this podcast will be in a well-adjusted <laughs> enough period in his life to know what i mean when i say this but i think almost every parent unless you totally drink the kool-aid mm-hmm. and you're one of those crazy people having 15 kids quiverful all that stuff there's going to be a t- point in your life where you think not like I don't wish my kids were here, but like, God damn, something would be easier or this opportunity would be open if I could just pick up, pick up and move. Sure. Like yeah. they are kind of impediments to a certain type of carefree lifestyle or dream. Yeah. But, I, you know, again, that. tons of good stuff goes on too. But yeah, yeah. like I, common, I think probably 90% of parents would feel that way at some point. Yeah, and ultimately, I mean, these are people who are driven by their careers as their main goal in life, and it's it's evident by their visions for the future. Yeah, a guy like, uh, a guy so, like Joan or Don, or a woman like Joan or a guy like Don, I can see this being even stronger. Yeah. Because, yeah. again, their families are less important to them, their, or their career family balance is different than the way I see mine. So Certainly. So we go to the follow-up meeting with Peter Pan, and Mathis tries to use Don's joke and it goes over like a lead balloon. Pete's uh, face, man. Oh my God. Pete's face. Oh. A, it's Pete's face. And Vincent Carthizer. Man. Yeah. It's it's incredible. That's such a fun I laughed re, I had to pause and rewind the first time because I was just laughing over uh Mathis just I I I'll give him full marks for just going for it. But it's a poor delivery, regardless. It's poor, but he did. He sold it to the extent that one Johnny Mathis could sell it. True, uh, and it still flamed out. And the look on the ad execs and Pete's face, and mm-hmm. oh, it's just so good, so good. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, then we go to Don staring out his window when Mathis comes in and basically yells at him for being smooth and handsome, and then Don fires him. Yeah, there's a. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in here that we've kind of talked about with Lee Gardner Jr. kind of being in love with Don. Sure. Um, well, do you think Mathis that's something that, that, do you think that's something that Don is like a new thought for him? Not that. I feel like it was based on his reaction to that statement. And, and it, you know, just based on my history with Lee Gardner Jr. And, you know, how that thing all broke bad with him and Sal. I think there's the whole crashing realization of like, Roger's hmm. been telling stories behind my back. Uh huh. Oh my God, that was going on with me. And oh my God, if Roger, like I fired Sal, but that could have easily been me. 
but with a slight change of circumstance. Yeah. And man, I just thought it just like Mathis had no idea how loaded that gun was when he pulled it on Don, but it really, really hit home. It's I felt like. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And it also, uh, like speaking of thoughts that hadn't really occurred to Don, <laughs> yeah, he's fucking handsome and he's fucking smooth. And I felt like he was kind of realizing that in the scene too. Really? Like, I, I know he, I, I felt like it was a surprise to him that his charms would work to that effect. Like Lee Garner Jr. would be all about him because he is smooth and handsome. Hmm. Like it's weird when you you come you combine it with the idea at the end where Sally says basically you and mom are both amazing looking and you're so used to people schmoozing on you sure. and dawdling you with all these these amazing affections and you don't even notice it anymore. So I'll say you can't even conceive of it. So you're saying that makes me think that that you you, you might be onto something because while he might acknowledge that and like you know hey this is great in a bar. And this is great on vacation. It's great when I'm trying to get women to sleep with me. Yeah. But in the context of, oh, this also works in the boardroom. It works everywhere. Like his whole life has been that. Yeah. And that's a. Like the attractiveness privilege is the privilege that trumps everything else. <laughs> sure. Like yeah. if you're devastatingly good looking, it doesn't matter how much money you have or what your race is or your social standing or anything. Like it opens doors. It's I think it's I think it's the best privilege to have. Probably. I could imagine so. Yeah, but it just it seemed like a new idea to Don that his whole life could be that. Mm, yeah. No, you in, might be in right. a way, I don't know. Um I think there's something to that. Okay. Yeah, I, I love this final line from Mathis where he said, You know what? I just knew I shouldn't apologize. And he right. walks out and lets that sting Don's ass for a second. Right. Uh yeah. Yeah, I like it. I mean, even that even that million dollar check and the apology he delivered last episode didn't feel like a real apology in so many ways. Don just Don just doesn't get it a lot of the time. Well, Don says he's sorry, but I think he's speaking in a business context. Yeah. And I agree. Like my modification is that like you can say you're sorry, but you can only say it once. Like a heartfelt apology will get you a, a decent a, a decent length in uh in the business world, but the line between I'm sorry and I'm making excuses is exactly the difference between saying it once and twice. Sure. It I rapidly loses its effect and the more you use it. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I can see in the sixties or in the seventies where that would just be like, no, you just never apologize to a creative client. Yeah. Don Especially if wouldn't. you're ridiculously good looking and tall. And so I think Don doesn't have to apologize in yeah. his life. Cause people his... want to, him to like them. Yeah. Just when he walks in the room. Whereas Matt doesn't have that luxury. <laughs> no. Uh it's always like, oh, you're not the then you're not the Johnny Mathis I was looking for. It's like <laughs> like he's just a he's just a dude. He's like a baseline five and everything. But he's also got the expectation of Johnny Mathis. So every time he walks in the room, it's disappointment. <laughs> Don doesn't have that. Yeah, I mean, I feel worse for him in the the genetic lottery than I do for Pete Campbell, honestly, because at least Pete Campbell is smooth. At least Pete Campbell can talk a good game, even though, you know, he doesn't have the greatest facial features or his hair's not great, whatever. He's smooth. Is he smooth or is he... He's, he's certainly good at what he does. He's slick. 
Okay, I think there's a distinction to be made there. Yes, Don smooth, smooth versus slick. He's kind of he's slick, slick implies a little bit of grease. There a little, you go, <laughs> a bit of slippery, little grime, little grime. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Richard comes into the office to apologize, mm-hmm. and he says he wants to be part of Joan's life. He, in, in his seventies wardrobe is turned up to eleven. Oh my god! Really, man? The ascot. Like, you remove the ascot. That's not a bad outfit. It's not. It's not great. It looks like it's made out of grandma drape material. <laughs> All right. The colors mm-hmm. are questionable, and they're Certainly. all wrong for him. But, but it's the seventies, and uh, you can man saying it's the seventies excuses far too many crimes. It doesn't I think. excuse an ascot, uh, no, not at all. No, uh, that thing's horrible. I'm sure if I got a good look of his shoes, I'd also be vomiting <laughs> about those too. But despite the ascot, kind of white Joan, leather nightmare. <laughs> Joan uh, agrees to continue seeing him after he apologizes and basically says, "Hey, I want to be a part of your life, and I'm buying property in New York." So I don't know what to think about this guy. Okay. I Because I liked him at first sight. I liked him less as a reaction, but also his genuine 180 felt just that. It felt genuine. Mm-hmm. Like, I could see a guy, uh, you know, spending a night or two thinking about it and thinking, you know what? If you have rigidity and old and, like, get off my lawn and that's not a good look. Yeah. but But it's also scary seeing the reaction he had to finding out that she has a kid and that's a problem. When the reality of that sets in, it might be even yeah. more of a problem. Now that, I mean, she just revealed in this scene she's been divorced twice. She lives with her mother. Yeah. She has a kid, uh, which he knew. I, I think it's very different to come into the office with flowers and say, I'm prepared to deal with this versus mm-hmm. living that day to day. Well, also, the other thing scary is this guy just met her. Mm-hmm. He flew across the country. Now he's going to buy. And I get that that is for a man of, I guess, his riches and means mm-hmm. is equivalent to me, like, agreeing to stop by the same restaurant a few times a week to see a waitress. Mm-hmm. Like, that. Like you know, that's not a big commitment. But it is a big commitment to go from L.A. tan playboy to settle down family man house, you know, or, or apartment by the park. Sure. It's a little bit of red flag, a little low alarm bells. What do you think about the comparison between, you know, Peggy and Joan were in conflict and they kind of rebounded against each other and they had very different experiences to that reaction of sexism in the workplace. Mm -hmm. But, and they haven't come back together yet, but think of the experiences they have. They both went on two really promising first dates. And we haven't really revisited that with Peggy yet, but do you think that there is some kind of symmetry to that tale that, that, that the wiener's going to do something with in the homestretch? Um, I hope so, because, I mean, Peggy and Joan have always been connected in one way or another. Um, yeah. And I, you know, they're very different from each other, but I feel somehow that they both want the same thing. They both want to be respected and both want to have this this really nice career. Right. Um. And to see both of them get that, that would be fine by me. And I like how Jones ended it with, well, we'll see, acknowledging that, like, I like what you're saying, but you also, yeah. this is a 180 and we'll just have to see. Mm-hmm. But also something about, you know, Peggy had this very romantic gesture of going off to Paris and she's like had this moment of clarity and like, OK, I need to pump the brakes a little bit. And Joan did it. But, you know, instead of like, well, yeah, I, I guess they're maybe they're both reaction was we'll see. But I just thought it's different than Peggy's like, nope, nope, nope. I need to stop myself. Where Joan, maybe she pumped the brakes a little bit, but it seems like she's kind of full steam ahead on that. 
And I don't know if because yeah. this kind of is the same type of fairy tale, like a man uprooting his lot. This is a very Don Draper thing to do. Yeah, yeah. And I just don't I don't know what's the real Richard. We'll see. Is is is, is <laughs> this, was that his version of the I'm ready. You're not the first thing to go. I was like, is that his version of that speech to the vampire waitress? It could be. Yeah. We'll find out. Uh, Glenn comes to Castle Francistine while Betty is home, and it doesn't appear that anyone else is. No, Loretta let him in. But on her way out the door. Ah. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he, he tries- Carla get fired for shit like that. Betty is really <laughs> not, she yeah. is really keeping, you know, not, not as firm a hand on the help. <laughs> Poor Carla. Uh, Glenn makes a move on Betty in the kitchen, but she turns him down. And then Glenn says, hey, I'm only going to war because I flunked out of school. I, Betty, Betty makes the right decision here. But she does the right thing. Did you think it's interesting that he says, why not? And he says, not because, because she's married, you're 18 or because you're only, you know, I've known you since you were took a lock of my hair uh-huh. or you're my daughter's friend. You're my daughter's friend. It's I'm like implying that if she were single, if uh-huh. she was in Joan's position, it, it would have been on. Like, I don't <laughs> think that's a fair characterization because it could just be the first thing she, the most obvious thing she came to. Okay. Uh-huh. But like, I'm trying to decide this is going to be useful later on when I'm trying to decide who is creepier, Betty and Don. And they're running a really tough competitive race in this episode. But I feel like, yeah, Betty with the, like, is Don lighting a cigarette for the vampy 17-year-old, the equivalent of Betty grabbing uh, Glenn's hand and putting it on her face? And the way she kept I, touching her hair Betty's in this was scene, more emotionally supportive. Like, she yeah. understands that this kid is about to go and this kid's going possibly through some real get sh- killed. This kid's going through some real shit. She, uh-huh. He's not going to go on a 12-state powder puff fun tour yeah. with the I, girls. I felt like Betty's was more heartfelt and valuable to the other the other side of the equation yeah that's pretty good that's kind of what glenn needed at that point and she knew that and it's like i don't know i don't know i don't think it's as as creepy as what don does don don tries to play it off like yeah you know i'm just trying not to embarrass this girl which i think there is an element that I, of that there is i don't know that i think that's the whole reason though I feel like Don is still Don. Did you notice Betty touching her hair? Because I thought that was I like did. to remind yeah. us of the whole lock. And I thought that they were going to mention something <laughs> or like, oh, my God, what if he reaches in his pocket or he's got it in a lock? <laughs> or, or what if he still got it? Oh, no. Like this could go. How creepy is this going to get? Um, and it also appears that she's attracted to him. Like, I don't. Like, she sees him, and she's like, how old are you? And he says 18, and she's like, hmm, okay. Well, yeah, she's definitely Whoa. looking at him with new, hungrier eyes. Like, but even back in the day, I remember, and I wasn't podcasting it, but I just remember how wildly inappropriate their relationship was. Oh, yeah. And it was like, when Sally says, any attention you guys get, and you ooze, it's literally any attention. It is. That is such mm-hmm. a dead-on criticism of these both. Yeah. Whew. And it's constant, too. That's the the scary thing. Yeah. No, I'm glad it didn't go beyond the face caress. I thought we yeah. were going to get some kissing or, you know, oh, I can't. I can't not in Castle Franken's, Fran- <laughs> Francis time. I, I can't imagine. Like, I I can't condone uh, rewarding that kid's acting by allowing him to kiss January Jones. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would not be able to condone that. So sure. I'm glad it didn't happen. 
Uh, anyway, Don enters, uh, entertains Sally and her friends, one in particular, during dinner before they leave on their tour. And before they can get on the bus, Sally yells at him for hitting on her friend, and Don gives her one last piece of advice for the road. Yeah. Uh, this is what we were talking about, you know, with him lighting the cigarette for her friend. Um, clearly, she is hitting on him. How much do you think he's hitting on her? I don't know, because just when I was starting to get, like, to settle down, Don, he turned his attention completely in his entire body mm-hmm. back towards his daughter and turned the conversation to him. So it's like, I'm trying to think of what, other than just shutting her down, like, bucket of cold water, yeah. ice, ice bucket challenge style. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm trying to think at what exit point in that conversation he could have, uh, maybe, like, he should have shut it down, or, or just... Uh, when she goes, where in New York do you live? Or maybe the penthouse was where he could have been like, oh, that's not important. Hey, what about your dreams? And, and the lighting of cigarette and the way, I mean. Th- We've seen him pull that move so many times that it feels creepy to me. Uh, but I don't know that it necessarily is. And I think back to his that time where he was stuck with the underage hippie chicks to concert. And he was just like, had no real interest in them beyond trying to think why he was out of touch and using them mm. much the way he used other people to try to work on his advertising. Right. Yeah. I didn't get any like real, you know, sexual, but then again, he's been with some really young women in the past, the girl from LA. Yeah. I mean, I, I got a hint of it. Wasn't his fake niece like on 18 or close to it when he first met her over in California. Yeah. Yeah. It was, she was pretty young. Uh, I, I definitely got a hint. I, there's obvious sexuality in this scene, and, he and I enjoyed, can't tell he did, which... en, he did enjoy the attention. That's the problem. Well, I certainly. don't even know if it's a problem. Like we're a little, there's an, we're a little crazy. You know, it's like I don't. There's an emailer to apologize for saying that Glenn was hot. Why? Why? There's nothing wrong with seeing know. a beautiful person and saying they're attractive. Yeah, and yeah. maybe they're an early bloomer. What's wrong is to make them feel creepy or used. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, or or to make them aware of. I mean, that's uh, you're a job as an adult is to not damage young people. It's like I don't know why it's it's necessarily bad to like if 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 Don was enjoying that attention, like that might not be a bad thing. The bad thing was to take advantage of it or to do something untoward. Yeah, I mean, maybe it, I'm a creepy old man. I don't know. I don't feel like one. <laughs> Neither does Don. As I'm playing uh, footsies with Jim and the table. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I I can't tell which side this is mostly coming from. Well, no, I know which side it's mostly coming from. I just don't know if it's a one-way street here. It feels more like a, a like a two-way street with maybe a lot more traffic on one side <laughs> than the other. Yeah. I don't know, but... This girl's clearly hitting on him. How much he's hitting on her, I'm not certain. In Sally's mind, she absolutely believes if this woman if, if is next year and dad had the right amount of drinks in him and he was in the right oh, yeah. emotional state, he would absolutely sleep with my friend, even if it would devastate me or not. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know, but I think Sally believes it. Mm-hmm. And that is what is the heartbreaking part of this. Like, yeah, this it- is kind of my moment. And you're my dad and you're showing my friends a good time and you're you're making me feel gross by the way you're oozing. Yeah. All right. I, I do like the advice that he gives her. No, on, it's on solid. On her way out the door. You know, you're a very beautiful girl. It's up to you to be more than that. Yep. 
And I feel like this is Don taking to heart some of the things that he has learned about himself over the course of the last couple episodes. Yeah. Um, saying, look, my life has been all about me being attractive and charming. Sure. Uh, I've used that to great effect, but I'm not really more than that. The emptiness is a problem. And and this dinner with your friend kind of just goes to show uh, you need to be more. You need to be better than your mother and I. Sure. You know? We've given you the the jackpot in the genetic lottery. Now mm-hmm. go do something better with that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I... I and, felt like, and the solid. fact that it's up to you—it's not about getting away from it's—it's it's you, it's your own determination to not use that as a crutch. Yeah, and Sally doesn't seem to be set up to use that at all. I mean, she's not interested yeah, in you... being a model like her mother. She seems very much more interested in the substance of people, less in their appearance. That's the ironic thing about privilege. It's like you could be aware of it, but you can't not use it. No, of course not. And like, short of throwing acid in her face, there's no way she can avoid the way people are going to react her. Now she can not take advantage of it. Like we talked about mm-hmm. guy in Don's position, not taking advantage of the 17 year but you can't stop it from happening. No. You can't stop that. You know, people like, Oh, I, you know, I need to sit up straighter and I want this person to like me. And I don't even know why <laughs> something deep within me. Um, yep. Yeah. So, all right. Bobby is running around the house. Uh, Castle Francis Stein shooting guns. Betty takes it away and throws it in the trash and then sends him off to watch the Brady bunch. Uh, well, he, he requests to watch the Brady Bunch, but it, it seems clear to me why Betty throws this gun in the trash. Sure. It's even though she's arch conservative and she seems to be a, a fairly hawkish about the war, uh, this is hitting a little too close to home. I think so. And also I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed seeing the Brady Bunch. I felt like a Captain America from the Avengers. I, I, I got that reference. I'm starting <laughs> to finally catch up to pop culture rel- relevance in this show. Uh-huh. Then Don gets home. There are some people signing the paperwork for his apartment. They're buying it. Uh-huh. And then he stands outside the door, They're pretty much homeless here. I mean, he's got 30 days, I guess. Yeah. Um, but the camera pulls out, basically showing him staring into the future, is how I read this. Uh, this kind of wide open, this this hallway, this clear path forward. Uh, I, I don't know. that It's a big hallway. Right. I feel like it. his thoughts of it haven't narrowed to a point where he understands what he wants to do next, but it is a blank slate. He is ready to walk into his future. See, I see that as fear because, you <laughs> know, like, like in the vote in the, the voice recorder, he was saying, let's assume that what we have here is good and it has to be better. Can he, how delusional is Don? Can he see that his life right now is good? So if he can't <laughs> even say that, then how could he say that it must get better? So I yeah, thought it was okay. more like I, have been kind of putting off this thoughts of the future, and I don't really have a good answer, but now I'm being forced, like, oh, shit, I've got to move. Like, I can't just be yeah. drunk. I can't be sitting here in my my Dawn dump, uh, you know, the, the equivalent of the peat pit, uh, it, you know, taking gin baths and sleeping until new. I'm going to have to go out and find a new place. Yeah. I'm very curious to see what he ends up with. I mean, that's ultimately a good thing, though. I mean, yeah, he needs to like I've moving said before, out of the mausoleum. The first is, step, sure. to to that recovery is at least acknowledging that there's a problem, sure. And he seems to be willing to do that at this point. Yeah, whether he can create, whether he can paint a vision of his future that is more attractive to him and is meaningful and satisfying, I don't know. Yeah, but I feel like those are that's the kind of question that we're going to be dealing with going forward. Sure. Yeah. 
So that's it for the episode. I'd like to take a moment before we move on to feedback to tell you about our sponsor for today, which is Bald Move. It's us. Oh, that's nice of them. Spons- sponsoring ourselves. We really opened up the pocketbooks and uh, some tough negotiation took place. Uh, but I want to tell you about uh, you can you can redeem your. <laughs> you wouldn't believe the price we gave ourselves. Uh, so, so you can go to club.baldmove.com and get the full pitch, but here's the short of it. For as low as a buck a month, you get ad-free podcasts, you get exclusive access to VIP forums, uh, on our, on our forums, you get to watch us record the podcast, which on some of these can, can get you the podcast hours before they hit the internet. And also you can see us kind of like scratching ourselves and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, touching our face. We did a lot of touch, face touching. Yeah, we a lot, did. A lot of getting connection with the, what our face was was like. And, and you missed all that. You, you didn't get the full 360-degree bald move experience. There's also a lot of other fun features. We do like a, a weekly segment called Lunch with Jim and Aaron where we just get together. And sometimes we talk about television. Sometimes we talk about life. Uh, we have the Q&A app on so you can interact with us and ask us questions and make comments. It's a good time. Lots of that, much more coming in the immediate future, uh, but it's already pretty good value. A buck a month. A buck a month is pretty good value, and the best part is it keeps us in operation, which is not nothing, let me tell you. Uh, so go to club.baldmove.com, sign up today, and we will be eternally grateful. We have feedback. Would you like to consider it? Why not? All right, first up, Stephen, uh, with a point that uh, from the forums that just left my jaw dropped. It's taken me seven seasons to notice that Don's pack of lucky strikes, often seen through his shirt pocket, places a perennial bullseye right over his heart. So he's talking about the Lucky Star- yeah, Strike yeah, yeah. logo. logo yeah, I was like, I mean, I don't know what that means thematically or anything, but that's a really cool thought. And we're going to jump ahead. Oh, I don't know. 15 Firing years. Firing squad. No one called Firing Squad. <laughs> no one has called No Fire. one's called Firing Squad. He's going to be brought up for being a deserter. There you go. Firing Squad, right to his There heart. you go. It's going to be some kind of weird bylaws and the uh-huh. uniform code of justice and <laughs> hands are tied and what are we going to do? And Final scene. Yeah. Don shot through the heart. Yeah. Pet, well, Statue- Pat Benatar plays 15 years from now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Crystal P. I wanted to talk about why Megan gave a wedding ring back to Don. Oh, I felt like an unwashed asshole when several people made this point. Okay, good, because I'm prepared to feel like what? I didn't understand it either. If you remember, that ring is from Anna Draper. She had left it to uh, Don yeah, after yeah. she died, which then she, he then followed with a proposal to Megan. Maybe she gave it back because she didn't feel right about taking it since Anna means so much to him. I think that's right on, and that completely recontextualizes that scene mm-hmm. and her leaving. You know that that's a much bigger gesture than it seemed. Well, I mean, we were openly derisive of it, so yeah, I should have should have recalled that. Good looking at Crystal. Sherry says I watched or rewatched the pilot recently and noticed this exchange between Joan and Peggy that has new meaning now that we've met. Hopefully for the last time, Diana, the sad vampire waitress. Joan tells Peggy he may act like he wants a secretary, but most of the time they're looking for something between a mother and a waitress. Has the wiener been waiting all these years to spring this on us? Hmm. Mother and a waitress. Throwing a little vampire in there and you got it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. 
I thought Man, was... I don't that, that's a long route to take, but you know I don't put it past him. Yeah, and she's kind of like a sad, intellectually down waitress, and she's a shitty abandoning mother. Like that's that's Don's like right up his alley. This is Kryptonite. Yeah, I I don't know. When he when he finds out about, you know, how she abandoned her kids, is that him walking out the door because well, we got, of that, or is we got that... some, we got some pretty, we got some really good takes. Let's 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 okay. let's keep the fair the, enough the hype train rolling. Bill I says when Mary or sorry Marie calls Roger to bring her money to the apartment to pay off the movers, she specifically says two hundred dollars and not a penny more, mm-hmm. while glaring at the movers like they made some kind of financial arrangement for the items she moved. However, when Roger shows up, Marie tells him to pay the movers one hundred and eighty dollars. This is very confusing upon watching as I was asking myself if I missed something. Then I hear on your podcast and also the feedback of numerous examples of how there were things that were confusing or ambiguous. The discussion about Don getting dressed at 3 a.m. to go out and yet Diana inexplicably finds his place and arrives or talk about how Don is leading this empty life and questioning if he was a metaphorical phantom uh, that really isn't existing. It seems to me like they're going towards some kind of David Lynch route. This $280 incident is making me wonder if the wiener is going meta and making the audience ask themselves, did I miss something? Not just about elements of the recent scene, but the show in general. That could totally be the case. This also feeds into the whole slight nod towards the Slaughterhouse-Five, man apart from time. Like, Matthew Weiner could be doing this trippy shit just to put us in a particular headspace and mood. And he's done it before, right? Yes, he has. I mean, even if you want to get as... Like the alarm, Recent the as the woman who kills under the bed. Yeah. Sure. He does this stuff all the time, and yeah, I would buy that it's just to put us in a headspace. Um, or maybe it's going to be like really trippy and flash forward backward in time and like up is down and could be people turn into lizards while he's tripping on acid. <laughs> Who knows? It's going to get uh, fear and loathing. Yeah, I'm ready. Manhattan. Sony D says, as I'm going through all seven seasons of Mad Men and reflecting on Don's relationships, I feel like I understand what Diana's role in Don's life is. It's all about him instead of her. Once again, it's an attempt to repair the past. When Don ran to Rachel to get away from it all, she got insulted and told him he was a coward to run away from his children. He then had this vulnerable, confused look on his face, which is what Diana looks like in almost every frame. (laughs) I believe Don is looking for love and to take care of himself, but loathing gets in the way, so he recognizes himself and Diana and tries to save her instead. When she tells him his secret about the abandoned husband and child, it gives him a chance to fully accept her in the way he wanted Rachel to accept him at that particular moment when he was raw and scared. No matter how much we see the cool, polished, could write the next American classic novel, smart, strong, and millionaire Don Draper, we seem to forget that underneath it all is Dick Whitman. Look at Dick Whitman's father, how crappy he treated his son. Of course Don needs attention and love, and more attention and more love, and it's just never enough. In one older episode, he says how he's looking at his life, scratching, trying to get into it. Being two men must be very complex, and not knowing who you are from one day to the next will put you onto the path of misery. She also gave a deconstruction at literally every person that Ron, that, that Don has had sex with, which is amazing, but it's way too long for me to read on the air. I just really wanted to thank her for that. And I loved him finding Rachel just to – or finding Diana just to recreate the scene – of Rachel in the way he wished it would went. Hmm. And a lot of people have kind of been stretching for why he was so attracted and why he was so compelled. And I think that hits it because he is Diana. He is Diana. And he wanted Rachel to love him and she recoiled in horror. 
So yeah, and I don't know. I mean, Diana in the end won't allow him to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just like Don really won't let anyone get close and authentically love him too. Yeah. I mean, he's not accounting for the other side of that. The low thing goes both ways. No, I mean, maybe he's too blind to see that he was nowhere near ready for anything with Rachel because of the way he was acting. Well, of course not. Yeah. And so that's reflected in Diana now being him in this relationship and him, you know, basically she's rejecting him and saying, I don't want to be loved to get out of here. That's what Don was doing before. Mm. Just unknowingly. Sure. Uh, Kevin D said the comment about Pima not being able to work or not being used to working with models who have all their teeth is a reference to high fashion models who would have their teeth removed to highlight their cheekbones and look thinner. I'm not sure if this is an actual practice or an urban legend, but as the industry demanded thinner and thinner fashion models, there was talk of women removing some of their molders to get that gaunt look. And then Kevin says, seriously, I, again, I don't, does that even work? Oh yeah. When you pull out your Have top you seen teeth, a, would your face sink in? No, if you pulled in like your molars, I, I think mm-hmm. it would. Right? Okay. They gotta displace the Maybe fat. I'm sitting here feeling my I know face. we both are. <laughs> this is this is a tactile experience. Uh-huh. I feel like Betty and Glenn. No. Uh, and Kevin I'm D- feeling Aaron's face, you're <laughs> feeling mine. <laughs> it's a daredevil moment. I want to feel your face <laughs> like a blind man would. Uh-huh. Uh, Kevin D hilariously ends his email with maybe I'm a throwback, but I like a woman with all her teeth. Me too. I'm a purist. I won't even accept wisdom teeth removal. Oh, damn. Got to be OG, orig- OEM equipment. <laughs> if you want to have a shot with whatever I am. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Moving on to new business. That was all old stuff. Mm-hmm. New business. Uh, ironically, that was new biz- That was old business about the show, new business. But mm, I've right. beat that pun to death over the last two weeks. Moving on. And Annie P says, Game Changer, did you know the actor who played Glenn is Matthew Weiner's son? If you already knew this, I apologize for my emotion, but I am freaking the fuck out. You and everyone in my inbox. Yeah. You you happen to be the first one, but yeah, that is a mind-blowing... That is mind-blowing. When you realize that, I remember having the same feeling. And I I had it like when we first met him, because I was like, you know, reading, and I was on like Television Not Pity, and that was pointed out. I'm like, good God. Why would you put your son in this role? When he's not good. <laughs> and not just that, but the role is creepy. You're right. It's totally creepy. Like, Martin, you are way too young to understand everything that's going on here, but I want you to... Cut this woman's hair off. <laughs> yeah, no, it's totally creepy. Uh, that's awesome, though. I was, I was like, riffing on uh, the forums with people about, like, is this Matt or Matthew Weiner's, like, idea of a joke? We're like, I want you to act as a completely empty vessel so anyone's criticism or the way they feel about you just reflect their own insecurities and – or what? I don't I, – I, man, doing that to a kid seems like a bad idea. Anyway. Um, so moving on, she, that's not the only thing she had to say. She says, as always, it's a much better episode than Sally's in the mix. Here's the hoping she'll make an appearance in the next few episodes. More than mm-hmm. anything, Sally is the critical audience stand-in while others fan – themselves over the sex appeal of John Hamm and January Jones, Sally sits incredulously by the eternal victim of the over-sexualized world she lives in. Whenever Sally raises her eyebrow, her body screams out, can't you see how things are not okay? That the world we live in is not okay? Why isn't anyone else paying attention? (laughs) I think Sally has such a tumultuous relationship with her dad, other than walking in on him having sex with someone else's wife, 
Sure. I'm having a deja vu moment here. Have we had this exact same email before? I unless I, I remember someone quoting those lines directly. Unless you're Billy P- Pilgrim and you're living stuck out of time. No, am. the timestamps on the email are authentic. Okay. Uh. Anyway, because she knows he some wait because she knows he knows things are not okay, but he so rarely acknowledges it. What are your Sally thoughts? In my opinion, I think Sally Draper is just maybe the show's most important character. Not a controversial take. Yeah. I mean, I think we have we have said in the past, if we want to see one good thing come out of this, is that Sally is okay. Yeah. Sally does her thing and grows up to be a better person than her parents. And Kieran Ashipka is awesome. Yeah. Like, we talked again about how she does such an uncanny Don Betty performance mm-hmm. and how she's done it at such a young age. And then when you put her on the screen with Glenn, I mean... Like, January Jones blows Glenn off the studio. Oh, yeah. And she is not a great actress. I've seen enough of her work now that she has got one or two gears that she can rev in, but that's about it. When when she's on the stage, watch out. I'm very curious to see what else she does in her post-Mad Men career. Or maybe she's going to be like, fuck this, I'm going to college, y'all are crazy. Like, uh, yeah, Claire Danes. Claire Day. She's Natalie not, Portman did that for a while. Claire Dane's back. Up. Yeah. Right. So I, 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 I wouldn't, I, I'm very curious to see because she just seems like she has a lot of talent and a very difficult role that she's held the screen with really, really good actors. Yeah, indeed. So that's my Sally thoughts. I think she is. She's very pivotal to uh, any redemption Don gets. It's going to be all about her and to a lesser extent, Bobby. And then to a much, 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 much lesser extent, himself. Gene. Poor oh. Gene. Bobby's got he's got a plastic gun. He's running around with an egg beater like he knows what the fuck is going on. He's <laughs> gonna egg beat every bad guy to death. Uh Drew says, Hey guys, and preceding coverage, Mr. Weiner. Mr. Weiner said that every episode could feel like a finale. And he cites this article from E uh, Entertainment Weekly. Do you guys feel like every episode so, so far is a finale for a character? Then he goes some examples. Episode one could be Ken's finale. Episode two could be viewed as Stan and or Megan's finale. This week could be viewed as Glenn or Johnny's. Uh, if we're looking for people more important than side side characters, I could see this even as Jones finale. She might have finally found the right guy. Hmm. I was. Oh, well, let's just stop there for a minute. I think that's an interesting thought because this week is a little rough because I don't want this to be Jones finale. And I don't know that Glenn is an important enough character, although maybe he is. He's been in every season, and he's been important to both Betty and Sally. And to bring it around back to that original relationship, maybe could it be Betty's finale? Like, I don't need to see Betty again. Yeah. I I don't know what else they're going to do with Betty. Like, I, I could totally see this being her finale. And she's fine. She seems happy. Her and yeah. Henry, and she did the right thing when it came down to the man-child, and uh-huh. it was kind of a nice nice scene as far as these things go for her. Maybe, maybe we're missing a boat and it's actually Betty's finale. Yeah. If they didn't show her again, I'd be fine with that. Okay. Uh, he continues, uh, she might've finally found the right guy. I was happy for her in LA and then also nervous that the guy was too good to be true. when he shows up in New York after the one date, but then he seems like he may be the key, uh, for happiness for Joan. What do you guys think? I, I feel like I'm very mixed signals with this guy. I yeah, like he him. has yet to prove himself. That's the thing. I, I I'm like Joan. Let's we'll see. We'll mm-hmm. see. 
Matthew P said, want to get your take on this last scene of the series. Don Draper's or as this idea as a last scene for the series. Okay. Donald Draper's funeral with almost no one there. The scene would be a callback to you're born alone and you die alone from season one. Thoughts? Is this too predictable for the wiener? Uh, I personally don't think Don is going to die before the end of this thing. Uh, but cosine. But if you want to go that dire- that route, uh, that that would be fairly fitting. I think. I don't know. I'm trying to imagine the people who would be there. Roger would certainly be there. I think Joan would be there. Well, if he dies like now, if he dies like well, yeah, if he dies five, ten years in the future, d- d- this knows? seems. I mean, and no offense, because I can't think of anything better, but. It, it seems a little hokey to me. Like I'm trying to think of how Madman would do this, where Don dies and he's a funeral and hardly anyone's there. But that's the thing. Like I think the joke would be that tons of people are there because Don, like all mm. the empty suits and marketing, would be there to pay homage. I mean, if he died like right in the middle of Madman history, yeah, Roger would be there. Everybody from the firm. There'd be a lot of people, but how many people actually know him or care about him? Does Roger know who Don is? Really? It's a fair question. Uh, I wonder if his kids would be there at all. Yeah. If Sally would even be there. I'd, yeah. Sally would be there. I feel like she, yeah, she might be um, just because she's. Sally broke down and cried because she cared with Glenn and she's afraid he might, she might send him off to war and never see her again and see him again. There's no way Sally doesn't go to Don's funeral. Yeah. I think she says these harsh things, but she must know that her parents care about her um, or at least Don. Like, I, I feel like it's a harder sell for Betty. Because, you know, she's been around Betty more, and it seems when Don gets a chance to to help her out, he does. But, like, I, can't, I don't know. Would she be at Betty's funeral? Yeah. I think she would, just because that's, like... Yeah. I don't, I don't know where she stands with her relationship with her parents. It's very strained. But it's, I, I don't think it's strained in the way that she doesn't show up. Yes. I feel the exact same way. I'm not sure. I mean, like I said, I think there's things Don and Betty could do to change that and maybe a four-episode span. But right now, yeah, I think she's at both both of their funerals. Yeah. Uh, more to the point, I think Don goes to Betty's funeral. Don't think Betty goes to Don's. Hmm. But again, I hate Betty. <laughs> I think she's a terrible person. Uh-huh. Matt S. from New York City says, is this the first time Don has ever worn a non-white dress shirt to the office? He always looks like he's still living in the 50s and the early 60s while everyone else is changing with the times. And even though he still does to an extent, he still has his hat, etc. I see the blue shirt as a slight but significant departure. Also, what about the, uh, you know, Roger gave him guff about the haircut getting a little bit long. Because mm-hmm. he the, the hair covering his ears. You can have that. It's getting a little mod for him. He's letting it all hang out, man. Different color shirt, growing his hair. That's, My God. Where, where does this end? <laughs> Face like the Wonder Years dad? <laughs> I, I don't know. He could, he could be right. It could be a... Uh, not insignificant change in Don's demeanor. Uh, but he continues, I'm not sure what it means. Uh, I feel like he's not really progressing as a human in any other aspect of his life, which is all true enough. Also, I don't love how they keep introducing new characters with such little time left, even though it was far less egregious this week with Captain Pike. I hope Joan doesn't end up with him because she deserves better. Hmm. Not that he's necessarily a bad dude, for being honest, though I didn't really love him, but she deserves to be someone's entire life, not someone's second chapter. She deserves to be the Colts to someone's Peyton Manning, not the Broncos, damn it. Fine pandering, fine pandering to the uh, Indianapolis native in the room. Uh, I guess the only problem with that is, like, she wouldn't be his first thing. Like, she's been through two divorces. Well, Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I'm saying if you're... 
if you're analyzing this, like maybe it would be appropriate that they're both each other's second chapters. Yeah. And I'm wondering how much she wants, like how much is she going to contribute to that relationship? Right. I mean, she's talking about how she has the job of her dreams. She's absent for her kid. Like, and Joan's wealthy. Like I'm, oh, I'm she's very wealthy. I'm comfortable to say she's wealthy by New Yorker standards. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think that's crazy at all. Um I just don't know how much I don't know. She might be happy with someone who makes her their life, but I don't think she's gonna make anyone her life. I should hope not, sure. I think she has a life outside of anyone else. I don't think she um, in both her career yeah. uh, and she, she seems to be neglecting her home life. Yeah. I don't know that she'd respect a man that made her his whole life either. Bob Benson wanted to do that, I think. Well, and... But there were other reasons for not going with him, obviously. Sure, but even then, I think that was a little bit of a turnoff, too. Like, just yeah. too devoted. I think I think you're right. I mean, that's like... Just, it's a fine line between flattering and suffocation. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not, it's not even that fine a line. It's a wet, woolly, suffocating line. Uh, let's continue with Jamie T. Uh, I want to talk about Richard Jones' date. I think he shines new light on the big theme of Mad Men, Change. It's remarkable to me that we saw a character change of his own will and not because he was forced to not a bit and, and not with a little thing either, like a mustache or a wild sexual encounter, <laughs> though I guarantee he got one with Joan. Yep. He changed himself and consequently changed the course of his life. Maybe he'll renege later, but I'm accepting for the moment that he's serious about wanting to adapt to his new circumstances. I thought he was flexible. He declares to Joan, that's not how I saw things. I have a plan, which is no plans. But a plan to have no plans is an oxymoron, a self-deception. This serves as a snapshot of so many Mad Men characters. They think there's something that they aren't. They project one thing while doing whatever the fuck suits them. They swallowed their own ad campaign. The difference with Richard is he went home and thought about his laid-back veneer and what it actually was. I don't want to be rigid, he tells Joan. It makes you old. This episode often juxtaposed the young versus the old, but the most obvious moment was at the end with Sally, the young, beautiful girl whom Don believes can change. It's sad that he doesn't give the same advice to himself. <laughs> Don is no Richard. He isn't brave enough to be. And doesn't that tie in nicely with Dick Whitman being a coward? With Don rejecting that persona, it's only when you face your faults that you can fix them. If Don breaks the cycle, I suspect Dick will play a part. She later emailed in a couple hours later saying that she realized that Richard or Dick is a uh, a short form of the of the name Richard. Yeah. Further showing the difference there. So what do you think of that take? I like it. It's interesting. I I mean, the idea that having no plans is a plan is an interesting concept. Uh, well, the fact, that, and also that he's changeable in a way that Don doesn't seem, like Don sees that he needs to change and tries to make a change, but he can't make it stick. This guy's putting down roots. Yeah, and I mean, I'm trying to figure out where where you land like the the carefree lifestyle how rewarding that is versus this very planned out ambitious goal-driven thing like don has had um it's there are two different types of rewards at the end of those roads right um don is certainly seeing the one that he's been on it's a very ambitious thing with he's seeing that the the reward at the end of that road is not satisfying to him Mm-hmm. would he be more interested in the Richard type of lifestyle? Would he be more interested in the Dick Whitman type of lifestyle? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I think that's what he has to explore now. Hmm. All right. I'm with her. I, I think there's a lot to be mined from that comparison between the two men. Moving on to Lisa LL, our senior black correspondent. I like to call Trip L. Uh, I don't want to doubt Matthew Weiner because he definitely has the ability to blow my mind with an amazing episode when it appears he's been treading water. But these last three episodes of the final half season feel like Facebook. I'm catching up with people I was really into a long time ago. Oh, so Joan wound up with the rich guy. Yeah, and that Peggy, always ambitious. Did Pete ever do anything with that rifle exchange to chip and dip for? No? Huh. The two things that caught my attention were Joan said she was divorced twice, so she must have been married pre-Pet Greg. And when Mathis told told Don about Lee Garner Jr. having the hots for him, Don seemed to realize Sal had been telling the truth and that he'd fired poor Salvatore for nothing. Ah. Of course, I'd rather see Sal, but it was something. That's another good wrinkle. Mm -hmm. I talked about the if, you know, there but for the grace of uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, Lee Garner (laughs) Jr., uh, go I. But yeah, also the fact that he, yeah, that's gross. But yet, to your other point, I I question that too. Like Joan was married. Did we know this in episode season six, episode four? To have and to hold, there's this brief chain uh, exchange with her friend Kate. I had to look this up, and this woman Kate, who's mm-hmm. married to this guy named Scotty, said something that Joan said reminds me of Scotty, and uh, and Joan said, "Well, don't marry him. That was the worst six months of my life." Hmm. And then Kate said, "You always did everything first. Yeah, yeah. So apparently she had a six-month marriage with this dude, Scotty, who is a douche. Okay. somehow we all collectively forgot that. Yeah. So there you go. (laughs) Uh, Jake from Tallahassee said, I'm not digging any of these relationships for the final run. Peggy, Joan, Don, meeting new people within days of meeting them. They're already uh, ready to make life-altering choices for them. Peggy, hello, dropout lawyer. Let's go to Paris. Don, hello, waitress. I'm divorced and I'm ready. Joan, hello, retired guy I just met. I'm open to you being part of me and my son's life. This seems extremely out of character. Don and Megan did not happen in one episode. Even Don and his surgeon's wife built over a few episodes. What are your thoughts on this? It's happened to three characters, so there has to be some kind of theme here. Finale symptoms? I don't know. Like final season symptoms? <laughs> yeah, but... I, with the jo- Symptoms uh, the, of change? The, I, the I Joan and Peggy thing, I think maybe they're connected because it says something about those two people and they're going through the same experience and how they do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that like all of the theories must be dismissed for the Don was getting from Diane, what he wanted from Rachel theory. I think that's really compelling and awesome. So I don't know that they need to be anything more than that. And now that I've thought of those two really outstanding ways to look at it, I'm, I don't have a problem with it. Um, Barring those insights from our listeners i'd be like yeah right on this is the way you lay it out kind of superficial and shallow and doesn't feel mad many but now i kind of think it does okay barry c did you guys think the wiener had a vision or a version of today's story with betty and glenn in mind from the very start maybe not specifically as it played out but with some sort of coming of age story for glenn where betty looks at him differently it may be because i binge watched seasons one through seven this year so it's more recent for me but these episodes felt uh, like a very satisfying way to book in the genuinely interesting relationship between the two. I would put the word interesting in scare quotes. Barry <laughs> chose not to. It's always, it always felt like Betty had a genuine friendship with Glenn and it was cool to see that she was almost into him. Well, okay. Um, 
From Man, what, as I what think, do you back, think that, that is not how I read the relationship between them. Yeah. Uh, as interesting or genuine. Like, no, it's I, it's interest. It is interesting. It was as I was watching it. It was it's super, interesting and creepy. Yes, it's not interesting and reciprocal or like I don't I don't know what little Glenn wanted. Mm. Little Glenn was deeply disturbed, sure. asking for locks of her hair. Uh, I don't. I can't even begin to comprehend the beginning of that, let alone bringing it around to something that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. uh, I don't understand the beginning of it, mm. frankly. Do you, from what you know of Matthew Weiner, do you believe that he architected this thing from the beginning with this end in mind? I could see him having some version of this in his head. Yeah, because I feel like that he said as much that he's a gardener type that he comes in each season having no idea what's going to happen next. That he has a he had a very kind of vague or maybe not so vague idea of where Don was going, but I think these things are kind of organic things that he's discovered. And and it's really weird. But like, I mean, how organic is organic, right? Why bring up the Glenn stuff at the beginning, if not for a purpose at some other point? Like he, he must be in I his don't head know. saying he this, heard, this is something that maybe I'll do something with later. He heard uh, Richard Linkletter right, working on his a boy's life. And he's like, fuck you, Richard. I'm going to cast my own son in a seven, an eight year version of the same thing. And one up you kaboom. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe that's the whole, it's, it's just a scheme to one up Richard Linkletter ladder. I don't, whatever. I don't know. I feel like Richard, if he, if he didn't Link, have ideas in his head about at least very, very basic sketches of what he wants to do later on in the show, then he would have dropped a lot more threads than he has. Yeah. As, as unnecessary or meaningless. Sure. So I don't know. Uh, Sully in Boston said, we crystallize on Don trying to find a purpose. His ad criticism, love again, clearly indicative, indicative of his disdain for this and facing his weaknesses. The condo door just shut on his sold and latest life, so what now? Don needed to stand up to Sally, and Don might have well been talking to himself. Like Sally, part of Don and Dick, or Don slash Dick is his parents. Don Draper is a whore and a mean-spirited bastard at times. Maybe rather than looking to fill the... That's a really good take, actually. He, like Sally, is a blend of his mother and father. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe rather than looking to fill the emptiness in himself, Don needs to try to help others to give rather than take. Don can help Peggy realize her dreams. Bert's dance told him the best things in life are, after all, free. And I think Don's fulfillment lies not in monetary or business goals, but in using his talents to help those he cares about. Is that a happy ending for Don? Well... As a mentor of sorts? it, It is certainly a happy ending, yes. Okay. I don't know if it's the happiest ending for Don, but... I I would like to see him do something good and satisfying to himself. Says P.S. Kudos for to Wiener for sending his own son to die in Vietnam. It's a tragic, funny, historic. So many meanings that it's a microcosm of Mad Men. Also messianic. That the way you phrase that seems very. <laughs> Matthew Weiner sent his, sent his son only to begotten for... son to die for us. Matt, I don't know if it's only begotten. He might have a car full of them. Who knows? A minivan full. <laughs> but uh, anything. Uh, anyway, he says, I also just realized this. The reason for Glenn's creepy love for Betty is in reality, Matthew Weiner's infatuation with January Jones. Clearly, Weiner has a crush on January and his son is simply his surrogate. 
is Glenn a Mary Sue for his love for January Jones? I mean, I suppose it could be. I don't see where that's clear, though. Well, I don't know. I guess it's the... It, I mean, has he talked in interviews like, oh my I God, January so. Jones, I'd love to have a piece of her hair. She's sure pretty, She's sure pretty, but that's about where it ends. There are plenty of pretty people out there. Yeah. Like, why? Uh, I don't know. I, I imagine he's making some sort of joke here. I mean, but... my God, Christina Hendricks stars on the show. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, Nicholas in Greenspoint. When we finally see the shot of the candy machine, the Hershey bar is dead center, hearkening back to Don's disastrous pitch about how Hershey bars were the only sweetest thing in his life. Wanted to give you credit for that, Nicholas. He also tried to go back to another dark-haired woman with a mole, and it didn't work. So now he's going back even further to candy to try to grasp at something to feel good about. Uh, he also had a take on Don's steadily increasing isolation and how it uh, ties into the starts and the endings of these episodes. And I really like this. The end of each of the three episodes has been a shot of Don with less personal attachments and possessions than he started with at the beginning of the episode. Okay. After a brief intro at the ad pitch, the first episode started with Don surrounded by girls and Roger in a diner and ended with him alone in the same diner. After a brief intro with his sons, the second starts with Don in his apartment, which is full of things, but absent his wife who calls as soon as he gets in, reminding us of her absence. The episode ends with Don finally wifeless and his apartment empty of possessions. The third episode starts with Don in an empty apartment and he owns and ends with him outside of it without a home anymore. People often get rid of their possessions before they kill themselves. I don't know if that's true. Citation needed, uh, but we'll go with it. It seems unlikely that Don will be able to throw himself off that balcony of that apartment now, but it seems like it might be headed towards that. He's increasingly unable to deny the emptiness of his own existence. Is the emptiness a problem, Jim? What do you think of his thesis of Don letting go with more and more physical and personal attachments? I love it. Uh, I think it's absolutely true and borne out by the episodes. Uh, he still has 30 days to throw himself off that balcony. That's what I'm thinking. Um, but yeah, I, it's not necessarily... That's just if the inspection, inspection goes fine. I mean, you know. <laughs> it, it's not necessarily a bad thing for Don. Like, I don't know that losing. him losing everything and being forced to deconstruct his life is a bad thing. I think it's a hard thing. I don't... I don't know that he doesn't come out of this better than he was before. So I'm still holding out hope that Don no, is no, going no. to redeem I'm, himself. I'm actually going to that point. Don season four did that thing famously where he started to yeah. bear care of himself. He started to journal. He started to go, you know, uh, challenge himself with women of substance. And then he ended up with Megan Draper. Yeah. Do you think, even saying all that, that season four on Don was better than the previous season's worth of Don's? So I'm saying it's like, is he... Not necessarily, but I don't... Is time a flat circle as it spins around? Is he making incremental improvements to himself? I kind of feel like he is. Yeah, I don't know that that was necessarily a a point where he made a conscious change um, that lasted. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, he got sucked right back into the life that Don Draper had been leading, um, but he was awake it, through this round. He was, and they made the point of rehashing that with the Sylvia stuff, right? Mm. I mean, he went through the same cycle that he'd always been going through. Yeah. Uh, now he's at that turning point again, I feel. Mm. Like he's got to make, he's got to wake up and he's got to realize what he's doing or be forever doomed to repeat himself. Yeah, that's good. All right. Uh, he's absolutely right about the episode's deconstructing Don. <laughs> Sure. Um, Sherry says, it's not by happenstance that the client Mathis failed with was Peter Pan. 
This is a good one too. It's fairly, hmm. fairly long, but we only have a few afterwards. So, uh, of course, that character is the boy who never grows up, who goes on various adventures as the leader of the Lost Boys without a care in the world. If he ever gets in trouble, Tinkerbell comes to the rescue. <laughs> Peter Pan is a self-centered, boastful, and immature, spending his life playing in an endless, directionless neverland of an adventure. The idea of a man-child goes way back to the child god in ancient mythology. In fact, the Peter Pan syndrome became popularized in pop psychology in the mid-80s, through the con- though the condition had been discussed decades earlier. This is one good description of sufferers. Victims of Peter Pan syndrome appear to be emotionally stunted at an adolescent level. Their impulses to take control over any internalized sense of right and wrong. They cope with their problems by engaging in a great deal of primitive denial. In other words, if I don't think about it, the problem will disappear. This attitude frequently leads to alcohol and drug abuse since getting high makes their problems disappear, at <laughs> least as long as the high lasts. They excel at blaming Is others. That Roger? <laughs> well, he's definitely Peter Pan syndrome as well. Yeah. Uh, They excel at blaming others for the shortcomings and are often extremely sensitive to rejection from others. The Peter Pan syndrome sufferer desperately needs to belong, and he feels very, very lonely. There seems to be an immense vacuum in his life unless he is around people, preferably the center of attention. Carl Jung described the uh, poor Aeternus, which... Thank God they gave me a pronunciation guide. I still almost didn't get through it. Uh, parenthetically, the eternal boy archetype. There, here are some signs of the poor Eternus. For a time being, one is doing this or that, and whether it's a woman or a job, it's not yet what is really wanted, and there's always the fantasy that something in the future is a, a real thing will come about. The one thing dreaded throughout by any such type of man is to be bound by anything whatsoever. Common symptoms of the pure psychology are dreams of imprisonment and similar imagery, chains, bars, cages, entrapment, bondage. Life itself is experienced in a prison. Is this not Don Draper? Yeah, sounds like him. And with the Peter Pan cookie? Sounds a lot like him. (laughs) Pretty pretty tasty symbolism. Yeah, I can't imagine that that's not what they're going for. I do too. But yet, (laughs) huh? it's interesting because I think that's a fairly unique take. I didn't read all the usual suspects, the Seppenwalls, the Tom and Lorenzo's, the Molly... Uh, Lambert's and all that, the Reddits. I this is a fairly neat take, so congrats to that, Sherry. Uh, and there are a lot of characters in the show who demonstrate those qualities. Oh, I don't yeah. think it's just Don. I mean, Pete, yeah, like all, like most of them. I mean, I, I think there are a lot of people in life who, who, like the real world, who demonstrate those qualities. Is Peggy living through a Peggy Pan syndrome? Peggy Pan, hmm, she, uh, doesn't, she doesn't seem to be want to chain down anything either, other than her shitty apartment tenement situation <laughs> the drug addicts he, on her steps and even then that was her old old boyfriend that got her into right yeah i don't know she seems like she's at least slightly more aware than these people have been sure like like the dons and the rogers and no nah, i was just kinds of guys. i was just trying something out betty could be a betty pan because i mean yeah. my god she goes to child psychologist for professional help it's she's the eternal <laughs> eternal girl sure Liz G said, are there any characters that you haven't been around in a while that you'd like to see again? Do you think we'll be seeing other new people? We already, this is, this is awfully early in the relationship to be asking questions like that, Liz. Uh, (laughs) We already saw Megan, her mom and Lou to name just a few. Anyone else we need to check in with before the season ends? What do you think? I'd really love to have an answer on Cutler. Ah. Once and for all. Okay. Even if it's just a a one-off comment about He died in an automobile accident. Sure. He was the, he was appointed to GM and they they ended up killing him in an accident. Uh, I, maybe 
I don't know. Ginsburg got carted off to an insane asylum. I, I don't think we'll see him again. I don't think we're going to see him. I don't think we'll see Bob. Who was the douchebag with the facial hair and the hair and the pipe that was early seasons, like one of the account dudes that were piled around with Ken and Harry? Paul Kinsey? Didn't he go he was on, in, la- into the join the cult? Yeah. Uh, and, and he, he was wanted to get a, a Star Trek script. Spec script. I wouldn't uh-huh. mind seeing him again. Like, it doesn't have to be a big thing, just... Maybe him and Ken are teaming up to write something. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I would I would still love to see Sal. I don't think yeah. we're going to. I would accept the Bob Benson, but I don't think we'll see him either. Nah. I'm trying to think of anybody else I really need to check in with. I don't... I, I don't feel like I need to. No. Um... All right. She also continues to be nice to see Don settled into a new home or apartment next week and begin to get the feeling that he's going to experience some additional personal growth and connect with his children. Good, good, uh, a chance because we usually jump forward about, uh, you know, four to six weeks. So that should be, you know, have a, uh, he should be moving in or maybe even settling into a new home. So how about this? Uh, Richard comes in and suggests, Hey, I'm going to buy property near you. Okay. What if Don does that for his kids? What if Don buys some property closer to where Castle Francistine is? Hmm, that's not a bad Tries idea. Tries to get more Go in touch with him. Yeah. How far, haven't they established that that's like way out in the sticks? I think it is. Yeah, like at least a train ride. Like it was, yeah. Well, I mean, sure. Maybe, I, I might be conflating Pete bitching about living out with the no good yeah. city sounds and the nighttime sounds. I don't know. It's all runs together. Uh, Larry E. said, Dear Don, I have an idea to help you with your purpose in life. How about funding a boy's home? Take some of your wealth and knowledge and give it back. Make sure the other little Dick Whitmans have a better shot in life. It would be a suitable, pleasing, and satisfying ending to your journey. You may not know this, but there are many people who are rooting for you to succeed. We don't want you to jump off a building. We want you to be happy. A lot of people on board with that idea, huh? He goes and fixes up the old whorehouse, turns it into the Dick Whitman... Uh, Center for Wayward Boys, for Pure Eternuses. <laughs> yeah, why not? Teaches them valuable life skills. I, I don't know that Don's equipped to teach valuable life skills is the problem. Uh, he dispenses them to Sally with fairly... True. I, I think he's got them. He just is false to their power. He, he cannot mm. get it for himself. Yeah. Uh, he ends, uh, if you have any extra money, you could build the boys... After you build the boys' home, you may want to invest in an endeavor called Bald Move. Hey now, hey now, free advertising. There you go. The listener's getting into the act. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all the email we got. If you'd like to send us some more of this fantastic feedback, uh, you can do so at madmen at baldmove.com. You can join in on our threads on the forum at forums.baldmove.com. You can also follow a release schedule on facebook.com slash baldmove and on Twitter at baldmove, or of course, you know, baldmove.com. There's also, that. Also, you can keep up uh, pretty well with things there too. Yeah, we're thinking of buying some property near you, so <laughs> don't worry. We'll be around. Baldmove.co? <laughs> Is that it? That's it, man. Let's okay. get out of here. Cool. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week uh, on Tuesday for the next episode. Till then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. See ya. Thank you.